Grace and peace be with you. Uh, I'm actually smiling underneath this mask, but you probably can only see my eyes, so I hope my eyes are smiling for you. <laughs> Friends, uh, shall we bow our heads and uh, come to the Lord in prayer and ask for His wisdom and His discernment. Lord of heaven and earth, give birth again into our hearts, Lord, that we might know You and that we might see You and that we might enter into the kingdom, Lord, and be members of your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I, I have to admit, I've been on a journey, and uh, I'm rather nervous at the moment. <laughs> It uh, doesn't tell because of the mask. I'm nervous because it's been a while since I've come up to preach in front of people. So uh, very karat. Um, but I, I thought to begin this sharing by planting this particular thought of a theme of a journey. Every great saga that we have uh, has a story of a journey. Uh, Odysseus uh, in Greek philosophy uh, you know, the Odyssey, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, you know, where you have the hobbits going from one place to another to a final destination. To some extent, uh, I'm coming back after a three-month uh, break and I've been on a journey. Uh, some of you may be saying, eh, what kind of journey can you go to? You know, <laughs> there's no, no place that you can go. I actually had made plans to travel. I managed to travel to Turkey uh, just before the MCO, I arrived back two days before the MCO actually kicked in. So I was on the last flight, one of the last flights coming back from Turkey. But from that time onwards, from March until now, the journey has pretty much been inward rather than outward. This journey that we're looking at in particular is for uh, Nicodemus. Begins in the middle of the night. He comes to Jesus, and uh, if you have your Bibles open with you, as well as for those who like to take notes, uh, we actually have our sermon outline where you have to fill in the blank. So it's good to have that with you so that you can follow along. Now, verse 1 begins, There was a, a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus uh, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So we know that this man, Nicodemus, is quite senior. Uh, he's uh, elite in terms of his intelligence. And later on, uh, we're told that he is known as the teacher of Israel. It's not seen in the NIV, but in the actual Greek text, there is an article. The article, the, means he is the foremost teacher of the Old Testament or, or the Scriptures, the Torah, uh, for that council. So Nicodemus comes with huge credentials, but he comes in the middle of the night. Sometimes uh, scholars have said maybe he's coming because he's afraid of being found out. But the other scholars also say nighttime is most of the time the only time when it's available uh, to talk. Uh, quite often, very similar. You know, a lot of people want to see the pastor or, or other church leaders. They make appointments after office hours because the nighttime is available. So Nicodemus begins this journey. 
in the dark of night. But there's a particular emphasis in this because when we read John, John chapter 1 says, in beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then somewhere along there you see this statement, the light came into the world, but the darkness did not receive it. And so this theme of light and darkness reappears again with, uh, with John. And he talks about the light of the world, Jesus, and a man called Nicodemus who comes to him in the darkness. And Nicodemus' first question or his first comment is this statement, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. I've underlined the word from God. Because, you know, in every, every journey that we have, we kind of need to have a destination or an objective. And Nicodemus has come here and he has made this particular statement, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God. And for many of us, our destination is that one day we would be with God. And Nicodemus is acknowledging that he knows God. He has come from God. I'd like to pause a moment here and say, you know, in your journey, in your day-to-day life, where are you? I had a picture earlier on uh, of a bus. And, uh, you know, some people view their life a bit like a bus. You are on this journey, sometimes you're not in control. People come onto the bus. And some people you acknowledge, others are just there for the same journey and you don't see them. But some folks in the bus you acknowledge and they become instruments of grace in your life and truth. Others, on the other hand, uh, may cause difficulty in your life. But all of us are always asking this question, what's the destination? Where are you headed to? And Nicodemus made it very clear that he knew that Jesus was from God, that Jesus already was a, a, a person who had a destination and had been there. And he goes on to make this second uh, statement in the same verse, no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So not only has he been to the destination, but he has a sign of where he's been and that sign is with him. Now, these words are quite loaded. And I say loaded because John, the Gospel of John is a book of signs. You know, a book of signs. And in uh, chapter 20, when John talks about the purpose why he writes this book, that we would see the signs and that we would believe in Jesus. So John is, is documenting this. The writer of this gospel is documenting this. Learned elder has come in the middle of the night, spoken to Jesus, who he says has come from God, who knows the destination, and not only that, has the power and the signs of what it means to live that life. Now let me again come back to the eternal reflection of ourselves. What are you looking for in life? In this journey that you're going on, what's your destination? What do you hope to achieve along the way? Are you only here because I like the scenery or you don't really care about the scenery and I only want the destination? 
Nicodemus has this same challenge. He's thinking to himself, this man is doing things, signs, wonders, that shows that he has God with him. He somehow figured out how to live life. He's having the journey of his life and he knows what the destination is like. So I'd like to find out from him how does he do this. So Nicodemus obviously quite clearly has like a very clear idea. In the Jewish identity, you, you arrive at your destination by living according to the law, by memorizing the scriptures, by being righteous, by giving your tithes, your offering, living right and good. So he's kind of like asking Jesus, you know, tell me the secret. How do you get to your destination? How do you journey well in this life? How do you make sense of all these problems and exercise so much power that obviously God is with you? That's the underlying question that he has. And Jesus gives this astounding response. Now I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Nicodemus. You live the very righteous life. You are known as the teacher, which means you know your scriptures. You've lived very well, and you are an example. You are in the Sanhedrin council, and uh, really, you know, you, you might think of yourself, I've, I've reached the point, and I'm respectable. I, I, I think I'm there, but something seems missing. I don't seem to have the power, the signs, the evidence that God is with me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how. So he goes to Jesus and says, you know, we know you're from God. It's an unstated question, how? And Jesus' reply to him is, no one can see, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born and there's this Greek word. The Greek word says uh, <coughs> anoten, A-N-O-T-E-N. That's the translation, uh, transliteration in English, anoten. Uh, in the NIV version, it says again, unless they are born again of water and the Spirit. Now, the English version, uh, the English translation gives you this word again. But the Greek word anoten has two meanings. One is again, but the other one is from above. So you read it in two ways, unless they are born from above of water and the Spirit. I say this again, that word has two meanings, unless they are born again, skali lagi, or unless they are born from above of water and the Spirit. Now, Nicodemus interprets it as born physically again. He interprets it that way. That's why his remark, how can, a, how can an old man like me be born again? How can I enter into my mother's womb again and come out? That's his comment. Now, it's quite important that we see this. Huh? Uh, Jesus repeats this term again, anoten, again from above, three times. Verse 3, verse 5, verse 7. Let me read that to you. 
Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again from above. The second time, verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit, born again from above. And verse 7, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus, Jesus is giving him the first big clue. And the first big clue, you look at verse 8. Uh, verse 7 says, You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. Anathon, you must be born from above. Jesus, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. Now, that word in English, the wind, in Greek is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma, like anathon, has two meanings. Wind, the wind blowing. But the other common meaning which is used in the New Testament is the wind of the Holy Spirit. So what he's really saying is, the Holy Spirit, this wind of God, blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is uh, coming from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, of water and the Spirit. Now, this interpretation and translation of water and the Spirit, many people have difficulty does it mean that I am only Christian if I go through a water baptism? Must have water. So that means if I kena, you know, if, I, if I've been a Christian, you know, I've, I've professed Jesus for a long time, but never come to church and come baptism and dunk into our baptism pool or pour water. Does it mean if I accident and I die, then I, I, I'm not born again? And the reality is the clue that Jesus gives about this born of water and the Spirit. All these clues, the point is, unless you are born from above through the Holy Spirit, it is not the ritual, the method. It is the fact that you are born of the Spirit that is particularly important. But how do we translate this? We need to translate this in the light of the Old Testament text. Now, it's a little bit small for us in-house to see, but I think the folks online can probably see this a little bit better. But let me read it to you. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. We always hear this. Uh, uh, the one that we are quite familiar with is that passage where it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. But if you go to verse 25, verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the staggering thing that Jesus was telling Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, tell me what I need to do. How do I do this? You know, I've tried to obey the law. I've lived this life. I've been on this journey. But I can't seem to get the destination or how you seem to be journeying in this life. And Jesus' astounding response is, it is an act of God. It comes from above. Now you think about this. If I give you this term, you must be born again from above. Even if I were to take a physical meaning of being born, I cannot choose to be born. My parents also don't have a choice about it in terms of what the result is. They just commit to it and God gives. So something about what Jesus is saying to, to Nicodemus is no amount of human effort allows you to enter and see the kingdom unless the Holy Spirit and God gives birth in you. It is not by our strength and our ability and all our rituals and legalism, but an act of grace from God that allows this to happen. Uh, I, I kind of think that Nicodemus probably might have blown a fuse there. He spent all his life trying to do this, and now he's telling him, it's God's supernatural act in you. You don't earn your way into the kingdom. It is graciously given to you. So now that Nicodemus has been told, this is how the journey begins. You see it, you enter into it. I'd also like to point out, right, in the, in the Greek tense, right, uh, these are things that are not like future-oriented. It is present and current. Okay? In other words, you see it, your journey begins the moment you see it, and your ability to see the kingdom occurs when the Holy Spirit does this for you. Then, is this question of, okay, given that I have to be born into this and it is God's work, in other words, I have no control of it, God is the one who allows me into it, what is the way of this journey? How do I get born again? How do I do this? And this is where Jesus does this. You know, I pointed out three times, uh, Jesus says, Anaton, born again. But three times also he says this word, very truly I tell you. Amen, amen. That's what the meaning of uh, amen is. Truly, truly, let it be. Very truly I tell you in verse 3, 5 and 11. He says this, and I, I, I need to make sure that I read this. Verse 9, Nicodemus asks this question, how can this be? Verse 10, you are Israel's teacher. You are the teacher of Israel. And you do not understand these things. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not see or do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except 
the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, this term, just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Another key word that John all his uses, lifted up. Jesus, we know, was lifted up in the primary way of being crucified on the cross. You know, the Roman crucifixion means they nail you to the cross and then they lift up the cross and you hang out there to dry, uh, to dry and die. So his primary journey for Jesus was that his journey of the destination for us, the way that we would travel this journey, is one of crucifixion on the cross. All disciples are told this, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Daily deny himself, take up. So the, the way of belief is crucifixion in accordance to following Jesus. That's the first one. But apart from being crucified, Jesus was also lifted up when he was resurrected and also lifted up when he was exalted. So here's the thing that Jesus is in a way saying, the way that I am going, and he is the way, and he says to us, follow the way. His way was that he would be crucified. In, in other words, we are crucifying our earthly desires of this world, but we would also be resurrected. And when we are finally revealed for who we are, we would be glorified and exalted as children of God. That's our final journey, destination. Now, why is this important? All of us, as I mentioned, go through this journey. And one of the biggest journeys that we are most afraid of is the journey through the doors of death. We all have to go through it. But Jesus is in a way saying, we go through this. That's our crucifixion of the ways of this world in this life. But the journey doesn't end there. The journey has this resurrection and this raising again into glory of the children of God. Which means a lot for you and me. It means a lot to the person who is bedridden, who is staring death and saying, is this the end of the journey? And Jesus' answer is in a way, no. It's one of the milestones to begin the journey that never ends with God, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus ends verse 15, or rather John ends verse 15 about what Jesus says with these words, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Excuse me a moment as I go and grab a chair. Now, it's not that I'm tired, that I need to sit down. But I'm illustrating here a question about belief. I can believe that there is a chair here because it's 
physically here. I can believe that it will bear my weight. But the question about belief in the Christian understanding is not what I know about this, but it is whether I'm willing to put my entire weight on that. I may believe that this journey that Jesus talked about is a wonderful journey, but unless I begin that journey with Him, in Him, and following Him, it is just a mental journey. It is not one of the Spirit. True belief requires that I sit and put my entire weight on it and trust that it will carry me. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is even the devil, even demons, even other people may acknowledge this chair can take my weight. Much in the same way that they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. If, if the demons and Satan believe that Jesus is the Son of God, why is it they're not saved? Because they're not putting their weight on it and they're not going to sit on it. They just believe about it and they don't want to trust in that journey. I would like to urge you to think, in your journey, as much as we have this faith that we can believe in, are you putting your entire weight on it? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. I believe you, Jesus, but let me work out my problems my way. I know you're there. I know you're reliable. But I'm not going to sit on the chair. It's, it's a bit like I've given you a blank check. It's been signed. You can fill it in, but you need to bank it in. And you have to use it. No point in saying, I've got the check if I need to. And our journey is that. You have a choice as to take this journey with God or to take the journey on your own. Which will it be? Let me draw this to a conclusion. I'd like you to know that entrance into the kingdom, seeing and entering into the kingdom, they are synonymous, requires a radical rebirth into the kingdom. That passage in Ezekiel reminds us that God changes our entire heart. It is not a conformance to outer rules. It is an entire renovation, reconstruction of your whole character. Have you surrendered it, this journey to God? The second one, it begins with believing in Jesus, the Son of Man. And that belief, as I illustrated with this chair, requires you to put your weight in it and to sit in that seat with God. Not a knowledge about it, but an actual carrying it out. And the third one, will you trust and obey the way? And the way here is not a set of rules, but the way here is Jesus. Will you listen to Him? Will your heart beat with His heartbeat? And will you follow in accordance to His will? Let's pray. Dear Lord, quite often we are quite happy to carry on our own journeys rather than to travel with you. 
Grant, O Lord, that we follow you rather than our own way and teach us your will and your way. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, guide us and lead us. Let me pause a moment here to issue an invitation to any one of you in church or online that if you've always been looking at this journey but you've never taken this step of journeying with Jesus, believing in Him, putting your entire trust and weight in Him, you can do one of two things. One is to say, Lord, forgive me. Let me get into the bus with you again. I need to journey with you. Or you could be, I've never ever done this before. I want to believe in Jesus. That's when you invite the Holy Spirit to come in and through repentance and washing over of water, we acknowledge our sins and we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. If that's your desire, will you pray with me now? Whether to renew it or whether to come to the Lord for the first time. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that no amount of doing good, that no amount of intelligence and knowing what is right and good helps us to be born into the kingdom unless you make it so. So we ask, Lord, it is the deepest desire of our heart that you forgive us our sins, that you come and grant us your salvation, Lord, and help us to believe in you and follow your way. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let it truly be. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you have uh, made that commitment in prayer, uh, especially for those of you online, um, can you fill up a form, that connect form or any of the response forms that we have to respond to us? Or if you have done so here in service today, you might want to come later on and uh, basically ask to be prayed for or with. Amen. We usually have uh, three reflection questions. Uh, So the very simple ones. In your week this week, in your small group or with your friends, would you take time to describe your journey so far? How has it been? Where have you struggled? Do you know your destination or have you forgotten where you're headed? The second question was, are you in the dark like Nicodemus, searching for answers but afraid of the light or afraid to follow the way? Would you talk to someone about it, elaborate what your fears are, and maybe that person can pray for you? And the third and final question, what positive steps can you take to pray and be an encouragement? You are like that passenger in the bus. Sometimes it's good to have encouragement along the way. Can you find a person and encourage them this week about their journey? I leave that. Uh, to our consideration. Let's prepare our hearts.